0: bit of a to-do. The internet wasn't behaving, but right now it is, so praise the Lord. In that. We're going to be finishing up uh, lesson 10 in our study through Colossians tonight with just an overview and survey of what we've been looking at these last number of weeks. We're in Colossians chapter 3, looking at verses 12, I believe, through 17. And the key verses for this uh, lesson were verses 14 and 15. So let's go ahead and read those. Colossians 3:14 and 15. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being able to be here tonight, to be able to study from your word, to be able to worship you and sing songs of praise, Lord. It is not a small thing that we should take lightly these days. Lord, we thank you for this ability and and are grateful for it. Lord, we pray for tonight that you would help me, uh, presenting your word for your people tonight, that you would get me out of the way and allow your spirit to work. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. So, lesson 10 is titled, A Stack of New Clothes, and uh, I mean, it, when people write these these lesson guides and books and stacks of new clothes and all these things, I, it's not what I would necessarily choose as a title for this, but okay, it's what we have to work with here. Um, I don't have a better suggestion at this point. I haven't put too much thought into it, so I'm going to, I suppose, complain a little bit and not offer a solution, and that's kind of bad. So moving beyond that, <coughs> this lesson has been focusing on Paul and his exhortation to the believers at Colossae to put on Christ-like qualities or Christ-like virtues to let God's peace rule in their hearts for them to be thankful right that's a key part of this this lesson here and a key thing that we should be focusing on ourselves Um, one of the one of the central messages that you could say of the entire Bible is to be thankful for what you have so for the Colossians to be thankful to embrace and share the word of Christ and to use words and actions that honor Christ in their daily lives and the theme would be that God expects believers to put on Christ-like qualities and this is what the lesson guide is saying here so God expects that believers put on Christ-like qualities well I think there's a little more to that in that you just don't of your own volition put on Christ-like qualities that's going to be something that comes forth as you yield to the Holy Spirit so as you yield to the Holy Spirit he'll do that work through, through you and with you, and use you to do those, to put in, put on these act, put on these qualities, these virtues, and to allow them to go forth into the world. So, uh, if you guys have your copy of your case study, I want to go through that. Often we get to case study time sometime during the lesson series, and it just never, never gets around to it. But if you have a copy of it, the title of it is "Anxious Days." And the story begins with, Heather, a nine-year-old, has recently been diagnosed with cancer. Her mom, Cheryl, is devastated. Long nights of contemplating the what-ifs have worn her out and heightened her anxiety. Cheryl feels like she has no escape from the worry. She dreads the doctor's reports because they seem to only bring bad news. She wishes all of Heather's physical problems would just go away. So we have a mother who's deeply sorrowful for the condition that her daughter has. She has cancer and that's a pretty terrible diagnosis. I mean we have our, our our friend and sister in Christ, Anna, is is working through that right now. Praise god praise God that things are going well and pray for her continued healing there. But that's a that's a, I mean, one of those you don't want to hear the, the C word from the doctor in that, that report. It's it's a, a terrible thing. So Cheryl, her mother, Heather's mother, it has a lot of anxiety going on. And the question one here is, how would you respond to someone who says that Cheryl's anxiety is normal and unavoidable in this situation, in the light of what we're looking at here in Colossians chapter 3? Maybe I'll refer you to verses 14 and 15 in that sense. So how would you respond to someone, not Cheryl, who says that, her anxiety is normal and unavoidable in this situation anybody have an idea if not I do so it's okay all right so what I what I would think is that um, anxiety that's a natural emotion but it does not have to be normal nor unavoidable I mean that might be the natural reaction that we might have if we were only thinking that this world is, ever, is all that there is but we know there is a great God above who cares for us and cares for us all wants us all to be saved and wants us to most importantly trust in him and what he has us going through some people he gives long life to and they, they live uh, as, as your friend Claire Nell, over 100 years old now I think she's 102, is that correct? almost 103, almost 103 years old very long life and some not very long at all. But is it is it uh, normal and unavoidable? Uh, if we're trusting in God to work in that situation, that, that he'll be working in that situation for our good and his glory, whatever it might be. So in some instances, we might see it, tra- it tragic if someone dies young. Or some sort of other tragedy along those lines but we don't necessarily know the, the condition that's there maybe God is saving that person out of something terrible to come that the, the evil of this day says okay maybe that's just your time I'm not going to put you through that maybe that's for their good in some instances we don't necessarily know that but we can trust that God is going to work out the situation exactly as he sees fit and it will be for our good and his glory, even if we don't understand it right now. So is it anxiety is natural, but it doesn't have to be normal or unavoidable if we trust in Christ and what God is doing. So in Colossians fifteen, if we read that, so Colossians three fifteen, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We've referenced these in previous lesson times. Philippians 4, 6 reads, Be careful for nothing, or in the context here, worry about nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So the question is here: Is what are the what do these three verses have to say about experiencing peace? That you could maybe give some, some uh, comfort to Heather's mother, Cheryl. Anybody have an idea here? It's Pastor. Well, take your burdens to the Lord. Take your burdens to the Lord, right? Take your, your burdens to Calvary, leave them there, and Christ will give you that comfort and peace. There's only so much that we can do. But the first thing we should be doing, right? It's not the last thing you do is pray. Well the only thing we have left to do now is to pray. Now, that's the first thing you have to do in all things is to pray. Comfort and I have to understand how that's gonna happen. Right. Praying for comfort even when we don't understand how that comfort is going to come about. Um, but here, Paul is writing that uh, to be careful for nothing, or, or worry for nothing. Trust that God knows what He's doing through all of these things. He can work it out, and use the doctors to heal at time and, and sometimes. Maybe that's not His plan. But in all things, we can let the peace of God rule in our hearts when we trust in Him. And that peace of God which passeth all understanding. There are people that can go through some terrible things but still have peace with God and have a peaceful demeanor. Uh, we, we can't think of any right off the top of my head but there are a lot of uh, martyr stories that you would hear or people that have gone through very uh, traumatic circumstances in, in being mission in, in missions and they will have peace through all of it. Um, what is the uh, okay, there are many of them out there. We can we can talk about those later. I don't want to pull any off the top of my head right now, but we can experience peace uh, by laying our burdens at the feet, at the cross and, and giving the giving those up to God, and that peace can come. So, question number three is: What part of having a thankful heart, or what part does having a thankful heart play in finding God's peace? Anybody have an idea? I think it's central right being thankful in all things and and if you are able to just count like we we talked about last week just count the blessings that you've been given I mean yes there might be some difficult uh, trial that you're going through right now but God has blessed you with much and in this in this circumstance blessing uh the time if, if it's if in this fictitious story again, if Heathers is meant to go home with the Lord, uh at only nine years old, uh the blessing would be that she was able to spend nine years with her parents, with her mother, Cheryl. And that would be a blessing. Yeah. Sister Lynn I'm hearing testimony after testimony of some of how thankful they are. They've lost everything. Mm-hmm. They're so Right, thankfulness that we're seeing here in our own community with people losing all their belongings and still yet being, having peace and having and being able to be thankful and then to be a help to others at the same time. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing how you would look at how much stuff do we really need? Right? Do the possessions that we have, are they necessary? Our life is, having our life now is of course necessary to be here and in, and in existence. But our health necessarily isn't. Our um, our home isn't necessarily necessary to have a thankful uh, heart, and and to be at peace with God. So we're seeing example after that, and I would pray that if any, if God would call us to that, to to a very uh, difficult search, to a very difficult situation, that we would be able to look at some of these verses here in Colossians 3:15 and Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And see how much we've been blessed, and to be able to give thanks to God for all the blessings that we've had, and experience that peace for ourselves. So just continue to pray. It's difficult uh, for the people that have lost much right now, and just pray, pray for them for that peace to come for them as well. All right, and just a more of a rhetorical question, not asking for an answer here, is that uh, if God's peace is God's peace ruling in your heart, something to to contemplate. And if not, take your problems to the Lord and thank him for how he will handle it Because he, and to be able to know God's peace because he knows what's best. So. All right, so we're going to go over our overview of this lesson 10 here. And the lesson is broken into two sections. It's covering six verses. The first section um, being the new clothes, uh, verses 12 through 14. 14. and the second section being new conduct, so we have new clothes and we have new conduct, new things and new ways to act with those things you could say so the first part of it being new clothes so these new clothes its just a metaphor that gives us a way to say uh, new Christ-like qualities, virtues, and characteristics that we obtain once we become a believer in Christ so those those come as you yield to the spirit. And verse 12 here, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So point A is below that, 1A, the wearers of the new clothes. So the first part of verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. So it's calling out the people that he's addressing right here. The elect of God, holy and beloved. So again, we're not going to get too deep into the Calvinist thing here. This is a... This is red meat to a Calvinist. You say the word elect, they're chosen, and they have a canned answer. They insert a bunch of stuff into the text. Uh, But as the called-out children of God, we are called to a few things that we'll look at going forward. Believers are elect or elected to these things because we are already positionally in Christ. Once you're a believer, you're in Christ positionally, and you've been elected to Something, some some calling for you to do some blessings, possibly in certain contexts, but it is not a um, it's not correct to impose a Calvinistic m- meme or uh, idea on what the word elect means. It's nev- it's never proper to presuppose Calvinism in these things. If you If you've just studied it out for just a little bit and it goes very deep, and there's a lot of rabbit trails, but once you get to the end of it, you find out that it's just, it's just a, a bit of a man-centered doctrine making me the, the special one, although it's said time and time again that that's not the case, but let's not get too far down that one. But because we are holy or set apart as children of God and beloved of God, we should yield to God, moving to conform us to the image of his dear son. So because we are set apart, be, because we are beloved of God, we need to yield to God and what he has for us in our lives, right? It's no longer about what Brian Young wants in his life. It's not, it's not about me anymore. It's what does God want for me to do for him with the life that I have. Was it, was it D.L. Moody, I think you've referenced about someone going out and getting saved, right? saved, uh, what was it, two and a half as the example, or we'll just use that, Two 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 and a half people got saved, and the person asked them, well, two adults and one child, and no, uh, it was actually the other way around, two children and one adult, who has half their life left to live. And I got saved, I wouldn't say late in my life, well, I don't know how long I have to live, but it certainly wasn't early, uh, at almost 29 years old. Um, so you could say I, I've not had a, a, a long and productive life for the Lord yet. Still working in the time that he's given me but that's um, that we should be yielding to God and allowing him to conform us to the image of his son and we look at that verse there and you know, the thought is uh, Romans 8:29, for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the first mo- firstborn among many brethren that we are Now that we're saved and born again, we're holy, we're set apart, we're beloved of God, we need to be yielding to his spirit and and drawing closer to him in the life that he's given us to allow us to serve him. So, that's who the wearer of the new clothes are. Part B, the description of the new clothes. They started the uh, the second half of the, uh, verse twelve, where it says, "Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye." And we spent a good amount of time studying each of these out, and we found that "bowels of mercy" refers to having compassion. And it was kind of interesting the the word translated bowels, I believe there were six instances of it. Uh, all of the all of them except for one, referenced uh, feeling or emotion, and the last one referenced Judas in the physical. and that was kind of an interesting thing there that the the one who was very much earthly minded and physically minded, looking out for himself, even though he was walking with the Savior. For, the, for, for those years um, was still very much earthly and fleshly so interesting usage of the word in each of those contexts so bowels of mercies here is referring to compassionate and tenderheartedness toward the brethren and to the, Lord, or, and to the lost world around us so it's not, not that you just have compassion for everybody who's sitting here but to a degree compassion for the world around us compassion for them because they're lost they're going to hell right now. The best that they're ever going to know is right here and right now. I mean, their best life, as, as one, uh, uh, one, person, one person who alleges to be in ministry says, your best life is, you can have your best life now. Well, that's, for the lost world, that is very much a true statement. For the Christian, the best is yet to come. The second word here, kindness, and this flows from a compassionate heart are all very much tied together here. You have bowels of mercies, having compassion and tenderheartedness. But kindness flows from that, having compassion toward others. Having a compassionate heart, even to those who may not deserve it. Right? Being compassionate towards those that might do you wrong. That's a hard one, right? In our flesh, we want to say, oh well, you're just, you're a mean person. I don't want to deal with you anymore. I'm going to um just have no dealings with you and turn away from you but that's not very compassionate in that sense you only do good things for people that are good to you well that's what the world does right the world knows how to do good to others but that's not the that's not what we're called to here it's it's being able to be kind to those who are unkind to you that's hard that doesn't come naturally Romans 12 verse 17 says recompense no man evil for evil provide things honest in the sight of all men so we're not supposed to if somebody does something wrong for us, wrong to us well just turn around and, and, and do wrong to them uh, I guess there's maybe a built on Bible phraseology uh, a secular phrase that says an eye for an eye makes both of us blind right? if you continue to just return evil for evil what good is there. There's not two, in this case, two evil acts don't make a right result at the end. So the next one, humbleness of mind, and this would be the opposite of the me first world that we live in and that pretty much has always existed except for that brief period in the Garden of Eden when things were still innocent. Paul did not glory in himself or in his achievements. And you know what? In his flesh, if you list if you look at Paul's credentials, he had a lot to brag about. He had a lot that he could boast about. And this would be glorious in the world's eye, eyes, but not glorious in God's eyes. Rather, he came to understand that in 2 uh, Corinthians 10, verse 17. He that glorieth let him glory in the Lord; for not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth right It's not about saying that I'm the greatest, no, I mean it will come out, and it will come out because the Lord will point it out and draw others to that fact that if you are focused on serving the Lord, you're not thinking about yourself, right It's not about me anymore if i'm if i if I have my head down. Plugging away, doing what I know is right for God's glory, God will recognize that. What does it matter if anybody else commends you for that? Are you do the the question would be is how, are you serving the Lord for the accolades of men? If you are, you have your reward. If you're not, your reward is yet to come in heaven. So continue to serve the Lord for the right reasons. Meekness—the attitude of glad and willingness, and willing submissiveness to God's will—it's the opposite of fleshly self-will, self-advancement, and self-interest. Right? It's the complete opposite. It's not about these two things again. Here, humble to some mind—that me first—the opposite of a me-first attitude. Here, meekness is the opposite of a self-willed attitude. Jesus submitted to the Father's will in dying on the cross and rising again, and no one would ever call him weak for doing that. Jesus was very meek. He submitted to the will of the Father in that. Uh, the example of meekness in that sense. Long-suffering, being patient with others, holding no grudges, hoping for renewal and restoration in others. Right? You're, you're, there's, a, there's tension between you and another brother in Christ. And through resolution, I mean there's process of resolution and, and renewal that can be there, but being patient in that sense with others in any circumstance maybe there's a there's a a wrong that's been done but being patient and long-suffering to to bear that out so questions 11 and 10 in your books dealt with uh two of jesus disciples that he was most long-suffering with and we found out those two disciples were peter and judas we've already referenced judas once tonight but uh, concerning Peter, after Peter's weakness of denying the Lord thrice, he became one of the greatest apostles. He became a bold preacher. He stood up, was beaten, came back and did it all over again, and kept telling people about Jesus that that initial denial, that initial amount of weakness, the Lord was still long-suffering with him and patient. Uh, even with Judas, we see that Jesus was patient with him all the way up until the end. To the time he, he gave them every opportunity to repent. It's not that Judas was, did the wrong thing at that one moment in time. It must have been that that was his heart. And that was, that was his motivations were selfish motivations. What can I have? What can I gain out of this? And even up until the end, Jesus had given him every opportunity to repent, even to the point of calling him friend when he arrived with the soldiers to take Jesus into custody that's pretty long suffering now you you could consider that Jesus knew his heart and that knew what and knew what he was going to do he even told him to go do what you do do it quickly um, that that uh, just incredibly long suffering there. You could consider too that God is long suffering toward us and that he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And uh, the ultimate I guess example of long suffering is God towards sinful man waiting for them to repent and turn away from sin and turn to God call out for salvation. Forbearing one another not returning evil for evil, railing for railing, or seeking revenge, but being long-suffering, humble, and kind. Right? All of these things are building upon each other. Forbearing one another requires to be able to be long-suffering, to be humble, to be kind to one another. These are things that don't come naturally. These are these Christ-like virtues that we're talking about here that we can put on as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit's call and drawing. drawing here forgiving one another, realizing that you have been forgiven much by God through Jesus Christ. It's a small thing to forgive a brother's offense, right? Think of all that we've been forgiven. And if somebody does you wrong on some small little thing, think of that small thing. Now, it might be really big to you if you've ever had a stone in your shoe and you're trying to walk for a while. That feels like a boulder in your shoe, right? But when you pull it out and you look at it, it's just this little thing. And it's and it was so irritating. But you 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 put things in perspective. It's not a boulder. Our sin in God's eyes is is the mountain of mountains. It's the biggest mountain you could think of that we could that we could consider. Um, but in this case here, forgiving one another, it's a small thing to forgive a brother's offense. It's a little pebble in the re- in the, in reality. Forgiveness is something you give from your heart even before the offender has sought it. It's something that c- you have to do. It's not asking for forgiveness is not saying that you're sorry, approaching this from the other side of things. It's not saying that you're sorry. Are you sorry you got caught? Are you truly sorry in a repentance standpoint? Well, are you turning and acknowledging what you've done is wrong and are asking forgiveness? That's what should be done when there's a wrong that you've offended somebody in. But then again, the person who's been offended, that forgiveness is granted prior to it being received. I've seen a few um, videos of where a judge is allowing family uh, say there. There's one in one one case that I can remember um, where a judge is allowing the f- victims of the family uh, families that have uh, suffered the loss of their loved one at the hands of a serial killer. And the serial killer is there, and, and um, I believe in this case he was very repentant for it now. Whether he was saved or not through it all, I don't know. Very sorry for what he did, but there were some interesting instances. You had some families who were angry, and they were just hoping this person rotted in jail, They went to hell, all of these other terrible things they were wishing on this man. Then there was one man who got up and who stood, and I believe he was a white-haired man with a big white beard, and stood and said, I forgive you for what you did. And he gave his testimony of Jesus Christ. And he he pointed to him as a way of forgiveness for this man to find him. And that's that's an amazing thing. If you think about there, being able to forgive somebody that's killed a loved one of yours, that's not something you do naturally. That's something that comes from the Lord to be able to do that. So just consider that, that these these, these virtues that you put on are not, not natural. They come from the Lord. All right, and part C, the best garment of all, verse 14, and above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. According to verse 14 charity or love is the, is the one to put on to tie all these virtues together so we've listed a whole bunch of them here and we've seen a few of them interlinking with each other but the wrapper that ties them all together is charity or we would maybe better know it these days as love you could say that Paul perceived charity as a wide belt or sash worn over the other garments and one that bound them all together it is the constant thread that weaves its way through each of these virtues, ties them all together. He called love the bond of perfectness, the glue that holds all the other ones together. In part two, try to speed up here a little bit. New conduct, (coughs) verses 15 through 17. So we've already read through verse 15 a little bit today. But because we have a new Christ-like qualities that we can now put on being born-again believers, there should be some changes in how uh, how we live our lives and how we interact with others. So there should be some changes when you get saved and you're yielding to the spirit. They should be forthcoming to, to the world around you. Point A is to esteem one another. In verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be thankful. So because you've put on charity or love, go ahead and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. We looked at this peace, which could be the peace that believers now have with God through salvation, through Jesus Christ. There's one avenue that you consider this, this peace of God to be. Or it could be the peace that exists between believers now. There's not a contentious spirit between people now, because we have the same indwelling spirit. If we're all yield to the same spirit of God, the contention goes by the wayside then there's this this rule in here so let the peace of God rule in your hearts and it's an interesting word that we've looked at it has the idea of being an arbiter or an umpire or the the referee at at an Olympic race would be maybe the context in Paul's day that the peace of God should be what it is what should be judging our hearts what is the judge of our hearts? That we are called to yield to the peace of God and not to react with our passion, passions, right? The, dis- the arbiter of our hearts and how we should act, not react, should be the pe- should be determined by the peace of God. So the world is going to react, and we talked about reaction videos that are all over the internet today, reacting to something outrageous and you get somebody's contrived reaction to it and it's, it's a an it's worldly entertainment, I suppose. Not worth, not worthwhile, in my opinion. So, being thankful and considering what we have to be thankful for, for will change your perception of your situation in life. Too simple statement here at the end of 15, and be thankful. If you are thankful, it's going to change how you live. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to look at things in, in, from a different perspective. The glass will be half full, not half empty, when you look at it it'll change your perception of your life. Part B, encourage one another. In verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So when we welcome the scriptures into our lives, they make us wise, right? How do you obtain the knowledge of God? Well, you have to read it. It's not something you can just I remember seeing, a—I think it was a Garfield cartoon back in the day, putting the book on your head and allowing it to seep in by osmosis. It doesn't work that way, right? It works by reading, seeing, hearing the word of God. We learn what God wants us to believe and how he wants us to behave by knowing what his word says. And by knowing his word, we can avoid errors in doctrine and practice, and we'll be able to teach and admonish others. (coughs) How do you know what right doctrine is, if you don't know what the doctrine is to begin with? If you have the standard by which you judge all things, if you have your Bible, which you can can discern truth from, and compare what someone else says against what, what does the Bible say about this particular subject, then you can know truth and you'll know correct doctrine it was it's it's been interesting to have brother Bernard come in and I just remember him getting up here and talking about doctrine it's all about doctrine and he preached this whole sermon that 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 morning on doctrine and that's uh, something that I'll remember him by uh, when I hear the word doctrine I think brother Bernard and uh, some, so some methods to teach and admonish one another mentioned in this verse are through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This why singing doctrinally sound hymns is an important part of gathering, of a gathering of believers. Right? You can sing songs, but are they doctrinally correct? Are they sound in what they teach? Because they they can be used in some instances, to teach and admonish others, right? I'm not sure about anybody else here, but we've sung some hymns where i got to stop singing for a verse or so because it's touching me, what, what's going on there, the truth that God is speaking to me through a song, through a hymn. Point C, extol the Lord. Verse 17 And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And here we're having this give thanks, giving thanks. Back in, in uh verse fifteen, be ye thankful. Again, this is a recurring theme through these six verses here and throughout the Bible. Be thankful to, to God toward God for what He's done for you. Be able to count your blessings. So putting on the spiritual qualities listed in verses 12 through 14 produce a lifestyle in which our words and deeds honor Christ. So these are the things, the virtues that we can put on, that when we live them out, they will become the words that we speak, the deeds that we do. And if we are adhering to them, that they will bring honor to Christ. So the believer should not view their life as partly secular and partly sacred. Right, you don't live a life in this room and then you go out into the world and you live a different life that's not what a Christian is called to a Christian is called to not have two masters to have one master which is Christ to, to serve him in all that we do in all ways at all times so don't behave one way around believers and another way around the world all that we do and say should bring honor to God at all times we should conduct ourselves wisely knowing that those who observe us will build their perceptions of Christ on what they see us do right if you're out in the world acting one way and they find out you're a Christian and it's not something that would be honoring God be careful because that's bringing shame and dishonor to Christ so Christians should be kind loving representatives of Jesus Christ clothed in Christ-like garments Ministering to one another, honoring the Lord, and being a good witness to unbelievers around us—that's that's our that's our duty to do for the Lord. So, in this lesson, we just talked about it, just in very short closing review here. That Paul exhorted the believers at Colossae to put on Christ-like virtues and to let the peace of God rule in their hearts. To be thankful. To embrace and share the word of Christ and to use words and actions that honor Christ. And that was the focus of this lesson. And to do this, believers should yield to the Holy Spirit to put on these Christ-like virtues. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time here tonight to be able to review Lesson 10 here, and more specifically in, in Chapter 3 of Colossians. Lord, we find these virtues that you've listed out to be humble, to be thankful to, to be meek to have bowels of mercy mercies and compassions to put charity above all those Lord to be uh, just to be examples to the world around us Lord we pray that you'd help us to apply these to our lives Lord as we go out these doors and witness to and minister to a lost world Lord we pray for our safety as we return home and bring us back here safely if you tarry in Jesus name we pray amen